And we're going to continue a series I started a few weeks ago called Built Different. It's a reminder that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are made in the image of Christ, called by the name of Christ, and redeemed by the blood of Christ. That means we can walk in our true identity and the fullness of our purpose as our real selves, utterly and completely different from the rest of the world. It means we who are called by the name of Christ do not uh, respond to the issues of the world the way the world responds to them, because we are built differently from the inside out. It's been on my heart just to empower us as a people to walk in this identity, to walk in this calling, to explore and unpack what it means for us to be this type of people. And I'm ready not just to be built different, I'm ready to live different. I'm ready to put on something new. So today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you would stand with me as we prepare to read the word of God. This is 2 Corinthians 5, it's verses 16 through 21. This is the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the maker of heaven and earth, join us here in this moment. Teach us, Lord. Change us, God. Form us, mold us, shape us, Lord. We don't want to be like we were. We want to be like you have made us to be. Spirit of the living God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that would understand everything you are saying to us this day. We love you, Lord. Join us here, I pray, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever gotten a gift that was for you, but wasn't really for you. You know what I mean when I say that? It's like you might have asked for it, you might have wanted it, it was given to you, and it's for you, but it's not really for you. I hope there's no uh, wives or mothers or women in the house today thinking about that uh, air fryer they got for their birthday. <laughs> that I, I wanted, yes. But that's not really what I wanted. You understand what I mean? The Lord just put it on my heart to tell the fellows in the house, an air fryer is a gift for a Tuesday. <laughs> that's a gift for I was coming home from work and I thought of you and I'm cooking tonight. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Just trying to help the brothers in the house on today. Even if she asked for it, she ain't asked for it. Okay. 
a gift that's for you, but it's not really for you. When we moved into our new house a couple years ago, our first single family home, we had the three boys. We we're going to have our first yard, our first real garage, first little picket fence, like everything. And we were really excited. And our friends really just went above and beyond to bless us when we moved into that house. Always excited to be able to entertain people in the backyard and on our patio space. And so they bought and gifted to me a new uh, grill, which I was super blessed by. Incredible gift. I really love it. I cherish it. And how many of you know that gift is for me, but not really for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my grill. That's my grill. Nobody is coming to my house and putting their hands on my grill. You understand what I'm saying? That's mine. You can get your own. But what I'm saying is I'm not the only person that eats off that grill. And when I'm working on that grill, I'm working on that grill. You understand? It's for me, but it's not really for me. And it got me thinking that maybe the best types of gifts are the types of gifts that don't just bless the recipient, but bless everybody around the recipient. Because this gift not only feeds me, it feeds my family and it feeds my friends. It creates a hospitality uh, and moments of hospitality in my household. It builds relationship. It does so much more than just grill meat. You know what I'm saying? It's for me, but it's not just for me. Its value goes well beyond me. I'm here this morning to talk to you about the greatest gift God has ever given you in your life. It's a gift that's for you, but it's not just for you. Its value goes well beyond you. Certainly you enjoy the fruits of it, but you are not the only one who gets to benefit from the gift that God has given you. I want to tell you this morning about the gift that God has given you of a brand new life. He has taken what you were and made you into something utterly new. It's the most profound truth of the gospel that what you once were is not what you always will be. God has given you a new life. So the title of my message and the reason that we are built different or the way that we are built different this morning is that we are recreated. We were born, but we were born again. We were made in his image, but we were reformed unto his image. Is anybody in the house happy that they are recreated before the Lord? That what you were isn't what you're always going to be. I wonder if anyone would shout at me and say, I'm recreated. I'm not an old thing. I'm a new thing. Would somebody with some gray hair shout at me this morning and say, I'm not an old thing. I'm a new thing. My greatest days are yet ahead of me. There's purpose on my life I haven't yet realized yet. God's not done with me yet. If he was done with me, he would have taken me. But he sees fit to leave me here, so I must have some purpose here. I'm brand new, baby. My knees might hurt, my back might ache, but I'm brand new. God's got more for you. It takes all of us, lest you think we just want to be up here jumping around and all that time. Listen, I've spent a lot of time with 20 and 30-year-olds. I love the first generation. I love the first generation. We need everybody, and God has recreated us all into his image. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, the problem with this is, of course, is that we have a really hard time believing and accepting this truth about ourselves. It sounds good. It's in the word. We can talk about it. We can preach about it. And it hits home. And it's great. But I think most of us have a really hard time believing we can actually be forgiven by God. I think most of us have a really hard time believing we can actually be made into something new. You know, our old self is so familiar we have so many habits and patterns that we're stuck in, that we live in, that we go back to. If anything is in question in your faith more than anything else, it's got to be the idea that you are actually a new creation in Christ. 
Because for so many of us, the testimony of our life is I sure do look a lot like the old thing I was. So how can God have made me a new thing? So it's hard to believe and it's hard to receive this truth for our lives. And it really makes us ask the fundamental question of today, which is can people change? Can people really, really change? I don't know how you'd answer that. I'd be curious to know as you think through your, uh, uh, your response to that question. You know, I was walking into service last Sunday. I was greeting some of the ushers on the way. And one of uh, the ushers uh, let me know that he and his wife had just celebrated 30 years of marriage. And I just want to take this moment to honor the men and women of Grace Covenant Church who serve in places you've never seen, are faithful to their wives, faithful to their husbands, faithful to their families. They read the word of God every day. They're in small groups in service. They've become members. They are the lifeblood of this church and they are the salt and light of the earth. He said they celebrated 30 years of marriage and I congratulated him. We talked about how they celebrated and he made this comment. He said, you know, when I tell people uh, that we celebrated 30 years of marriage, some of them will respond and say, I can't believe you've stayed married to the same person for 30 years. And he goes, and I tell him, I didn't. Who she was 30 years ago ain't who she is today. Who I was 30 years ago ain't who I am today. We've changed over the course of our lives. How many of you know that when you marry somebody, listen, you don't commit to who they are, you commit to who they're becoming. I need to set somebody free with some expectations today. That you you do not, if this is the best version you'll ever get, you're committing to that. But I can promise you the course of life will change a person. They will go through things, change their hairstyle, get a tattoo, get in shape. Get out of shape, (laughs) change their spending habits for the better, change them for the worse. Life changes you. You go through a grief or a trauma in your life, it changes you, it marks you, it leaves something on your soul that that makes you never, uh, never quite the same again. You have children, find a parent in here who hasn't been changed by their children. Come on, they all said, that's that's as loud as a parent can get at this time of day. Ooh. That's why I got to shout a lot in this service. Keep everybody awake. You don't desire the same things you used to desire. You have a whole new set of priorities. So when I think of it like that and I go, can people change? I go, of course, of course people can change. Life can change you. Life changes all of us. But I think when we ask the question, can people change? That's not really the question we're asking, is it? We're not really asking if life can change you. We're asking about that thing that's much deeper down in your soul your inner wiring, your nature, can that thing change? Or does everybody always go back to being the same old thing they've always been? There's something different than just the superficial, something different than just the circumstantial that changes us. There's something deep down within us that has to change, and we wonder whether it can or cannot. In Psalm 139, the psalmist writes that the Lord formed my, my inward parts and he knit me together in my, in my mother's womb. He says, I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible testifies to the fact that the Lord God who created you didn't just create the exterior. He created everything on the interior. So if you're wondering whether you need to change, I would just say this. Life can change you, but only God can recreate you. And what you need is not to be changed. You need to be utterly recreated. You need to be an entirely new and different thing. The word in the Greek is katesis. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. It's not a modified version. It's not an upgraded, a polished, or a cleaned off one. It means a new and different thing. I'll put it like this. If you were a car, and when I say that, please do not be the person who says, yeah, I'm a Tesla Model X. Yeah, I'd be a Porsche. I'd be an F1. No. What was your first car? That's the one. That's the one. That's the one. If you were a car, my first car was a 1988 Dodge Aries. Navy blue, bench seat in the front, shifter on the column, dial radio, crank windows, and eight miles to the gallon. That thing was given to me because it's like nobody has any use for it. But I was grateful just to have a car. So if you were a car, think about your first car, that one, with the ripped up seats and the dusty floor and the wipers that don't wipe, they just smear the water around, make it harder to see, you know what I'm talking about? If you were a car and you've been through life, you've traveled some miles, you've seen some things, you've been some places, and you bear on your exterior and your interior the marks of being a road warrior, and you get to this point in your life where maybe your tires are a little worn, maybe your transmission doesn't shift gears quite like it used to, maybe your alignment is a little bit off, maybe the exterior of you has a few marks, scrapes, dings, and bruises, your paint's chipping off in a few places. In other words, life has changed you. In other words, you've been around the block once or twice. In other words, you've seen some things and done some things and you look like it. If you've been around the block and people can tell and you can tell, you feel it. You feel it, man. It takes a little bit of extra effort to get you going in the morning. It's like, no, 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 no. Not today. Not today. But you realize you need a change. You realize this is not sustainable for me anymore. I can't keep going this way. Is there anything or anyone that can help me feel better, to look different, to not feel the effects of life on me? So what do you do if you got an issue with your car? You take it to someone who can repair it. You find a professional and an expert, and you ask for them to fix the things that are broken. But what the Bible tells me is that when your manufacturer gets his hands on you, he is not interested in repairing you. He has no need for you to have new brake pads on your wheels. He has no need to update your carburetor or to shine your windows or to polish your, your, your wheels. He has no interest in changing your oil. Matter of fact, he wants to anoint you with a new oil. When your manufacturer gets his hands on you, he doesn't want to refurbish you. He wants to overhaul you. He wants you to be an entirely new and different thing. In other words, he wants to transform you. So you come to God as a car and he makes you a transformer. Is anybody willing to be Optimus Prime in the house this morning? Is anybody willing to tell somebody in your life when you look at me, there's more than meets the eye? That I was a car, but now I'm a sentient machine on a mission to save the earth? Come on, somebody. My mind, my 90s baby is showing up here today. Okay. What he makes you into is a class unto itself. You no longer look like you used to look, walk like you used to walk, talk like you used to talk. He has made you a new thing in a category all of its own. Not what you were, but what he designed you to be. We have a hard time uh, 
uh, believing that fully because when we look at people and expect them to change, we don't always see the change. When we look at Christians and they're supposed to be like I just described, but man, they don't look like they, like they really, he described them, man. You know, and, and when you're thinking about this, you're going like, well, yes, it sounds good. I know I believe it and I want to receive it, but I also know what I was thinking about and what I was doing yesterday. So how do I reconcile these things? Perhaps the reason that we don't believe people can change is because we expected God to do all the work for us. Maybe... We forgot that the Bible says you need to take off the old self and to put on a new self. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. When it comes to the, with regard to your former way of living, the way that we taught you, you need to put off your old self. That old self that's corrupted by deceitful desires and be made new in the... In the attitude of your minds, how do you see yourself? What do you believe about yourself? How are you thinking? What thoughts are you giving yourself over to? You need to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Man, we thought God was going to do it all. God says, I've done it. You step into it. You wake up every morning before your feet hit the ground and go, Lord, today I'm taking off who I was, that selfish, self-conscious, and insecure person, that angry and controlling person, that lustful and prideful person. I'm taking it off today, Jesus. I'm putting on the new me today. Holy Spirit, empower me to live like you, to be salt and light, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Today I walk in the mercy you've afforded me, that there's a whole new me I can walk in. That is our responsibility. And that testimony is the loudest testimony the world can ever hear. This is what it means to be an ambassador of God. That you no longer reflect your self-interests. You reflect the interests of the one you represent. Which means you need to die to yourself to live for God. And reflect something greater than the one, uh, than yourself. All of this, Paul says in verse 18, all of this comes from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. God has promised you the gift of a new life. If anyone is in Christ, anyone, I need you to hear it, anyone, that means you, that means you. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's the promise of scripture. That's a fact. That's what's done. And now that gift that God has given you, The gift where he reconciles you to himself now becomes your gift to give to others. It's a gift that's for you, but it's not really for you. And, you know, we talk about in tithes and offerings how abundantly generous God is, the God of the overflow, the God of more than enough. He shall supply for every need of yours, and it is all true, and it's true in finances, and he will also give you, pressed down, shaken together, a cup runneth over amount of opportunities to express reconciliation with others as well. He gives us so many chances, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Some of y'all don't want to clap because you know you're sitting in one right now, and if you clap, you got to do something about it. Shake it off. Let's give God praise. He's calling you to reconcile. Let it be done. He gave you the gift, my guy. He gave you the gift. Now it's yours to give to somebody else. The reality is, um, no matter where you go through life, how you go through life, people will hurt you, they will offend you, and they will let you down. It's just a fact. I'm not here to be a Debbie Downer. I'm here to guard your heart. 
Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows everything that you do. So above all else, guarding your heart, maintaining right uh, expectations of others, preserves you and helps you. Because there's far too many of us who are walking around hurt by something that should have been expected by somebody else. Should you have expected somebody to let you down, to say something offensive, to fall short of, of your very high expectations? Of course, they're human. Sometimes we just need to acknowledge each other's humanity. Hear me though, I'm not saying make excuses for it and I'm not saying embrace it. I'm saying understand it and acknowledge that the same problem you have is the same problem they have. This truth, and I'm gonna say it again because I need everybody to catch it today or my parking team will tell on y'all. You'll get it in a second. This reality that we are human and this is what humans uh, do does not excuse behavior, but it does explain it. So none of you have permission to leave service today and cut off people in the parking lot and exchange some mean words with our gentlemen who are serving free of will for no money in the 95 degree heat to help you get out in an orderly fashion. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? None of you have the right to cut in line at first watch after, uh, after service today. None of you have the right to say that thing on your mind to your spouse in the car and say, well, pastor said I'm human. It's just what I do. What am I? No, 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 no. It does not excuse your behavior, but it does explain it. What I mean is you are human. This is what humans do. This is why you can't get right and stay right. You understand? This is why you keep making those decisions you wish you would stop making and you've promised a thousand times you'd stop doing, but you keep finding a way back into it. It's because you're human. You are part of a fallen species. Do you understand? That's why we don't need to get better. We need to be recreated. We need to be made into a new species, a new thing, something different from the earth and put that on every day and walk in it. If you can hold that expectation rightly, that the people in your life at some point or another will probably let you down, probably do something wrong, probably hurt you at some point or another. If you can acknowledge the humanity in others, you can manage your expectations accordingly. You can guard your heart so that when offense comes, you can receive people in love instead of responding out of your pain. That will utterly transform every relationship you have. How do you respond to people? when they've offended you and hurt you. Does it surprise you that much? Again, I'm not trying to give you a cynical mindset on life. I'm not trying to make you go around and go, everybody's terrible. I'm just saying, this is what you do to God every day. It's what we do to each other. And we are not called to be uh, disparate uh, uh, apart from each other. We're called to be unified. That's, that's, that's what reconciliation means. Do you understand? Reconciliation literally means to bring back together. It means to create a harmony between two parties. It's to take two people who are on other sides of the earth, on polar opposite sides of an issue, way far apart, with all kinds of issues between them. And reconciliation is the act that brings those parties back together and makes them one again. This is the ministry to which God has called us. And when it comes to reconciliation in your interpersonal relationships, in your family relationships, and especially when it comes to reconciliation at a level of race, 
racial reconciliation. I need you to get this next truth deep down in your soul, and I need you to lean in and listen carefully. Reconciliation is not the same as justice. Justice has to do with fairness, the application of the law, and making a wrong right. Reconciliation is bringing two parties together as one. Which means you can have justice without having reconciliation. Which means our highest goal and what God called us to was not a ministry of justice, but a ministry of reconciliation. Now let me be very, 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 very clear. We are to be a people of justice. Do you understand me? We ought to desire and go after and chase down justice. In fact, a lot of the reason God lets calamity come upon the people in the Old Testament is because they stopped caring about justice. They started operating selfishly. So we need justice. But if you're the type of a person who just wants to see justice done, I just challenge you, take that attitude to God. Tell him, God, all I want from you is your justice. See, that's why I love this church. Y'all know, y'all know what that would mean. You know what it means. Justice is what God is after. He is a God of justice, but there is something on the other side of justice. And so God, in his loving kindness, does not stop at justice. He applies mercy to justice. Do you understand? He says, I've got to make this wrong right. I've got to apply the law. I can't overlook it, but I'm going to apply mercy to it. So I will take out my justice on my son so that they may live in my mercy. And at the intersection of justice and mercy is the place where reconciliation can occur, where two parties become one again. Do you understand how much your Father in heaven loves you? The God of justice, the God who, who cannot betray his character, says, I'll find a way to get justice and achieve reconciliation. This is what we are called to be in the earth. We don't stop at justice. We find a way to apply mercy so that we can experience reconciliation. Reconciliation drives the devil crazy. Do you understand that? His job, listen, God, the Bible says that God is building us up as living stones into a holy habitation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession. We are to be this picture of this new temple, a temple made up of people that testify to the love of God expressed through the life of Jesus. That's what we are to be, a city on a hill, a light unto the world, something utterly set apart and different from the rest of the world. God is trying to build us up into something that the rest of the world can see. And if God is trying to build us up, up, then you better believe the devil is trying to tear us down. So what he does is he tries to isolate us, separate us, so he can decimate us. He tries to pull us apart and tear us to pieces to get us on polar opposite sides of the issue that we're just unwilling to ever reconcile over so that we can never step into the full purpose that God has set us aside for. God is trying to build us up. The devil's trying to tear us down. And all I've got to say is this. Are you willing to let the devil steal from you the very thing God has given to you? Because God, he says, is a good father, which means he gives good gifts to his children. He gives things to you that are for your benefit, even that family, even that spouse, even those parents, even those children, even that job you prayed for, even the challenges you're walking through. The fire will purify us and set us free. So God gives good gifts to you, and we want to reject him because we're in our feelings. 
We want to say, my offense, my hurt, my pain is more important. I'm right, they're wrong, they can come get from me whenever they want. But until then, I'm going to be over here not doing nothing. And the devil goes, I got you where I want you. On the sidelines, in your feelings, looking down, not in the game. But we have not come to Jesus as a friend or a co-worker. We have come to him to be the savior of our souls and the Lord of our lives. Lord means master. So what he says, I do. Which means my emotions are submitted to Jesus. When I'm hurt, when I'm in pain, when I'm utterly offended, I go, how can I find a way to make it right? Because the devil is working right now to steal something from me. And it's a thing God has given to me. And I'm just competitive enough that that very thought sets me on fire. That ignites something down in my, down in my spirit. Like, I don't know how y'all feel about the devil. What a crazy sentence. <laughs> I think some people are, are, are afraid of the devil. Right? Like, I think some people are the fear demons. They're going to come and snatch you up and stuff. When you realize the authority God has given to you in Jesus Christ, the devil is like that annoying little brother who's just pestering me all the time, just bothering me, just in my way, making me stumble and trip around things. And that just drives me crazy. So I just want to smack him off and dust him away and get rid of him. So when I hear about him trying to take something from me, no, 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 no. Not today and not in my house. God has given it to me. I'm not going to let offense keep me from it. I just won't let it happen. I just won't let it happen. I'm different from the world. I'm not going to let my feelings have lordship over my life. Jesus has lordship over my life. So your life now becomes a living testimony that others see something different about you and something true about God. This is what reconciliation between God and man looks like. It's this Greek word, katalasso. I've been super into my Greek study lately. I hope it's blessing you. It's been challenging me. Kata lasso is a Greek word. It's made up of two words, kata and lasso. Wow, shocker. Um, thank you for coming to church. Um, kata was a hard one to translate. Kata is, uh, has a couple different meanings. It has to do, it's kind of like a location word. It typically has to do with things that are down from it or lower than it. Uh, but it also has this idea of it being like against, like two things being against each other. It's been used uh, to describe like hostility at times as well. So there's this idea that something lower than you, something down that is maybe against you, leaning up against you, has some type of hostility towards you or some type of hostility in the relationship. Lasso is much easier to explain or to translate. It just means to change or to exchange, which tells me that the biblical word for reconciliation comes down from above to somebody that is against me or hostile to me so that I would make a transaction, make an exchange, hostile relationships for friendly relationships. Do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes reconciliation comes from the higher position. Sometimes you can be right and reconciliation can be on you. I don't like that one. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes the word challenges me. Reconciliation is not just the work of the offender. Sometimes it's the work of the offended. And before you start talking about how that's unfair, read Romans 5. While you were still a sinner, 
While you were still a sinner, that's when Christ Jesus died for you to reconcile you to his heavenly father and our heavenly father. In our relationship with God, please do not get it twisted. You are the offender. God is the offended. He's never done nothing wrong to you a day in his life. Every day you wake up with breath in your lungs is mercy. Is mercy. Every chance you come and repent and turn and ask for forgiveness and he forgives you, it's mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. You are the offender. I am the offender to God. And yet it was, was while I was an offender that God says, I'm up in my high position. What am I going to do from the position of justice, from the position of being the one who's right, of having no flaws, no faults, and nothing that can be said against me? What do I do from up here? I'm going to kata. I'm going to come down. I'm going to get close. It says, for our sake, God made Jesus, the one who didn't know any sin at all. He had never done a single thing wrong. He made him become sin. He recreated him on the earth into something natural. And placed upon Jesus all of our sin. So that in Christ, you and me could become righteousness. He exchanges your sin for his righteousness. His death for your life. Your filthy rags for a garment of praise. Do you understand the transaction that has taken place between you and God? He comes down close to make an exchange with you, to bring two parties back together again. This is what God has accomplished in Jesus. And if you're like me, and you just want to challenge scripture, you want to get everything out of it, you don't just take everything that's set up here for granted. You question it. If you're like that, You've got to be asking the question, why? Because that seems too good to be true. That offer doesn't seem fair. What's the catch? Why would he do it? And there's no greater answer revealed to us in scripture than the most simple one, which is this. You reconcile yourself to people you love. It's just what you do. It's just what you do. You find a way, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when you're in the right, you find a way to reconcile with the people you love. The Bible says God so loved the world. He loved you so much. He sent his only son that whosoever would believe in him by faith, by believing in him, would not perish unto death, but would experience eternal life. Why does God do it? I don't know if you'll believe it or not, but he does it because he loves you. He loves you so much. And what we do is we reconcile ourselves to the people that we love in our lives because we are ambassadors of God. Yeah. We are representatives of the earth, not of our self-interests, but of his. Our life is to be a living testimony to show this world what it looks like to live reconciled, to show this world what it looks like for a husband and wife to figure it out, to stick together, to serve one another, to lay everything at the altar and allow Jesus to transform them. Our lives are to be a living testimony of what it looks like to preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Our lives are to be a testimony that every tribe, nation, and tongue is called unto Jesus. Not just the black ones, not just the white ones, not just the Asian ones or the Latino ones, or any other one, but all of them. 
So we're going to lay down our preference so that all may see the glory of God in this place. So that we would be a people that bring disparate parties back together again. You can only do it when you've experienced that from God. So Paul implores you as I do, please be reconciled to God. The number one thing that keeps us out of reconciliation is pride. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to utter the embarrassing words, please forgive me. And yet some of you today, that's all God is asking you to do is to go to him or to go to that person and just say those beautiful, simple, powerful words, please forgive me. This is what we do with people we love. We find a way to reconcile. It's what God has done for you, amen? Let's pray.